so again, just in God's providence, we're talking about parenting today. It fits with the theme of the day. So, uh, so let's turn in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter one. Um, as you're turning there, it's it's not a it's not a secret that it's a very dangerous world out there, isn't it? And to think about bringing little ones into that dangerous world is very frightening. Um, many of you in this room are parents. Uh, some of you are even grandparents. And uh, we think about, you know, the generation, right? The, the generation that are young, they're in grade school or maybe even younger. Um, we think about uh, the generation, those of you that have adult children that are, they have young families and they're, they're trying to be faithful in their families and raise their children and serve their church and spread the gospel in their community and uh, whatever season of life you're, you're at, we can think about the, the corruption of this world and um, things that, that uh, you and I didn't deal with when we were growing up, things that our parents, even our grandparents didn't deal with growing up. And, and we see just even American society is so different, whereas in previous generations there was a lot more overlap between biblical morality and cultural morality. Uh, there was a, an overall fear of the Lord, if we can call it that, though in many cases, not true Christianity, but, but uh, at least an appreciation and respect for uh, the Judeo-Christian value system. Um, but today, things are changing, changing very, very quickly, very rapidly. Um, uh, and I don't have to give you statistics on that. And, and so you think about uh, what hope do our children have, right? What, what hope do they have in a corrupt world that's getting worse in a society that is getting harder and harder to manage. You remember back in the day where um, there was a black and white TV? Some of you remember when there was no TV. You just had a radio. Um, and it was like, okay, well, we can turn the TV off and that handles the vast majority of your outside influence, right? Right? Now it's smartphones, Wi-Fi, hotspots, cellular... I mean, it's everywhere. And just managing that as a parent is very challenging. Um, the good news is today, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is God has a rescue plan. God has an influence plan. God has... Uh, he's got this, right? I mean, he's the God of the universe. He knows everything there is. He is all-wise, all-knowing. And God has a rescue plan to help children to grow into mature, godly young men and women into adulthood. Okay, And I want to introduce to you uh, that rescue plan. Um, and to, to introduce this to you, uh, if you're in Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to look... At, let's just go ahead and start at the beginning of the book to remember the introduction... And then I want to, I want to, this verse will, will introduce for us the, the rescue plan, the influence plan that we're thinking about here. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. See, there it is, right? A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7, this is uh, the, 
There's bookends in this book. This introduces the main theme of the book right here, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So there we go. Right out of the gate, we see that Solomon's goal under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to teach, to train. It says here, wisdom and instruction, understanding, instruction and wise behavior and righteousness and justice and equity. Okay, so that's the goal. And notice here, to give prudence to the naive and to the youth knowledge and discretion. So it gets worse, actually, because as new parents, many of us said, okay, if I can just build a wall around my children until they're 18, everything will be okay, right? We'll just, we'll just keep the world out. We'll have our little family here and everything will be great. And Solomon says, hey, mom and dad, we got more bad news. Your children are the main problem, not the world, right? Notice what it says here. They come into the world, a couple of words here, naive. They come into the world needing prudence, needing knowledge, needing discretion. So you've got a child that comes into the world, a sinner in need of a savior with a corrupt heart, a sin nature, and now you've got a world system that is corrupt and sinful, and you see the resonance between those things, right? When a corrupt, sinful world connects with a corrupt, sinful heart, now you have double the influence of ungodliness. But a lot of parents think the battle's all out there. No, 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 the main battle for our children is in here. Just like for us, it's in here. The world is merely offering an enticement that resonates with the natural frequency of fallenness in our children. So what hope is there? Okay, Where are we trying to get? Verse 5 again, a wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. That's what we want, right? And the ultimate goal of what we're trying to do in parenting is verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom of instruction. That's the main role of a parent, uh, is to help children to be trained to learn the fear of the Lord and to walk in His ways. Okay? Now we're wondering, okay, so, so that's the problem. They got a problem inside and they got a problem outside. Man, this is a tall order. What is God's rescue plan? And I would like to introduce for you God's rescue plan in verse 8. Okay? Would someone, would someone read verse 8 for us? Chapter 1, verse 8, nice and loud, please. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Did you see it? What is the rescue plan? Mom and dad. Is mom and dad. So so on your notes there, wisdom begins in the home. Wisdom begins in the home. That's where it starts. It's not the government's job. It's not the church's job. It's not the school district's job. It's not society's job. It's not a community project. Wisdom in training children, comes first and foremost through the agency of parents. Now, what's interesting about this is that the Bible says that God's primary vehicle to deliver wisdom in mom and dad, and now this is radical, but so, so make sure your seatbelt's fashioned, is dad. It's dad. Um... Mom's very much involved. I've read the book, okay? It's in here. Mom's in here too. But there is an ownership 
there is a jurisdiction, there is a shepherding responsibility, there is a primary duty put squarely on the shoulders of dads. And, and that's what make this, makes this book so radical. Um, who says that anymore? I mean, who talks like that? We, we've, we've talked about, I mean, I don't, do you guys even watch TV anymore? I mean, is it like all Netflix now? And uh, You know, it's, it's amazing. Most of the contemporary shows are so far removed from a biblical view of the family. It's like, pause. Okay, kids, where do we start? Okay. Uh, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is, you know, and, and you're going, the, the, the paradigm is so different. Do, do you remember, do you remember uh, some of you that are not my son's age? Um, do you remember when, like, the first TV shows were coming out where there were, there was a family, you ready, where mom and dad weren't married and there were children in the home. Remember that? Remember how radical that was? How controversial that was? You got an unmarried family. And now it's like, if there's a man and a woman functioning as parents, you're going, man, that, that's, that's a, you know, a minority now. Um, so this, this needs to be taught. This needs, needs to be reiterated. You may say, well, of course, that's God's plan. Do you know how foreign this is? to your neighbors and to the people you work with and the people you go to school with and the people you play soccer with and uh, the people you interact with social media. This is, this is not just radical, it's foreign. People have never heard this. You say, well, yeah, that's the traditional values. No, no, it's not traditional values. It's God's plan. God's good plan for human flourishing. So God's delivery vehicle, His rescue plan, as we think about children coming into the world, corrupt children in a corrupt world is dad now now here's some things you're going to notice as we read the book of proverbs okay let me just give you some some bullet points here um you will see these themes over and over again. In fact, the, the Bible doesn't even directly say, Dad, do this. It's so obvious. It's just how the book is made up. These are assumptions. But we cannot make these assumptions only because we live in a world that is so far from God's biblical design. We, we need to sort of go back to you know, spiritual family kindergarten and just talk about the basics. So what is a father? What do we learn in sort of the white spaces of the books of Proverbs, as we see Solomon, a dad, sitting down with his sons, sitting down with his children, and teaching them. First of all, notice, as radical as this is, ready? Dad is with his kids. Right? This doesn't happen if dad is not with his children. That's what we see in chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. That's not taking place over a text message conversation. I'm here to tell you that. This is a dad face-to-face with his children. He's spending time with them. He's with them. Notice, secondly, he's engaging his children. Okay, The fact that a dad is in the general proximity of the short people in his children is not super significant. What's significant is he's engaging his children, right? He's, talk- he's not ignoring the little people in the house. He's not walking by them on the way to watch the ball game. He's not walking by them on the way to the garage to work on a project. He's engaging them. They're, okay, And again, th- I, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. This is, this is really the types of stuff we need to be saying because it's so obvious to most of us. This is not obvious 
to the people we're trying to evangelize and the people we're trying to influence. Dad is with his children. He engages his children. There's a relationship there. And uh, we'll, as we'll see, this relationship is not dictatorial. So many, so many dads think, you know, the, the paradigm of fatherhood is I'm the king of the castle. Right? And, and here's how it works. It's a very simple plan. I bark out orders. Everybody else obeys me. Okay? Any questions on that? And that's it. And then when their children don't obey them, they get angry. And they do say horrible things and they begin to micromanage and they begin to control and they begin to do all these horrible things and man that's that's so foreign from what we're seeing here you got a dad who's with his children engages his children takes initiative to teach and and train children notice who's talking here in verse eight who's talking solomon is dad is okay we think how, how many christian Wives and moms are there. And they're the ones pulling the spiritual weight in the home, right? They're the ones doing the Bible study. They're the ones um, taking their kids to church. They're the ones dragging them to a want. They're doing all of this, and dad is, is disconnected. He may even be hostile. But dad is taking the initiative. Now, that doesn't mean mom isn't involved. I mean, in, in a typical scenario, mom's going to actually have a lot more time with them than dad will. But, but let's not miss the point that dad is the initiator. Dad is the one providing oversight here. And notice, looking at verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are great, a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Okay, so you notice here, he's having a conversation, and what is he saying? What's the first word? Hear. This is yet one more evidence that we know the Bible is true. Okay? How do we know the Bible is true? Because the Bible assumes that your children do not automatically listen to you. You're competing with the TV. You're competing with the iPad. You're competing with the Xbox. You're competing with the swimming pool. You're competing with the friends. You're competing with football and other sports. And you can, can you see, son, listen to me. Look me in the eye. That, that's what's going on here. And so a dad is insisting, teaching, training children to listen. And notice, he trains children to take seriously his instruction. Not just here, but here, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Take it seriously. This is something you need to know. And notice, trains children to not dismiss, or our version says here, not forsake teaching from parents. It's so easy to say, oh yeah, great mom and dad, what's for lunch? Great mom and dad, okay, I'm going to go play with my friends. And, and kid, kids can be very good at just sort of telling us what we want to hear so that they can go do what they really want to do. And we need to recognize that that's not, that's not the training that's involved here. And notice, and I love this, whose job is it to make sure that children take their mom seriously? dad and dad does that through how he talks to his wife how he talks about his wife how he encourages respect to her when he's there to uh, see disrespect on the part of the children Um, he supports her Uh, so many parenting problems are really marriage problems mom and dad aren't on the same page and when mom and dad aren't on the same page the children get a mixed message and they usually take advantage of it in some way 
And, and so that, that's what you see here. There's a real harmony and unity. You see a mom and a dad working together on behalf of their children. And that's what needs to happen. Okay, so there's a wonderful picture here. God's primary delivery vehicle of wisdom to learn the fear of the Lord is a father working in concert with a mother. Okay. Um, notice, secondly, the content. What does he say? Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching, um, directions, rules, guidelines. Um, now, we're introducing a word here. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. We're going to talk about this word a lot today. That word instruction is one of the most common words used in the Proverbs. And I will teach you more about it in a minute. But the word itself means training. It means training. And that training... Well, I'll just I'll go ahead and introduce it to you. That word training... Um, Rusty? Good job. Ah, woo! Yeah, good job. Okay. So... There's two Rusties in the room. If I put up some pilot acronyms, you'd translate for us, right? What's that? <laughs> okay, the word is masar. This is the noun form. It means training. Um, uh, yasar is the verb, and that's the tr- that, that would be the verb to do training or to do instruction. It has three components to it, but you need to know this word because it really is one of the most popular words in... Uh, in Proverbs, I did this just for Rusty Festmeyer, so but he uh, he got a good grade in Hebrew and he just proved it. So, yes, sir. Okay, so um, so here here the, the word has three components to it. Okay, you need to get this. The first one is instruction. Okay, that's what we see here. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. But it's 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 not instruction like. Um, uh, you know, just like rules or directions, it has the goal of training the child. We're, we're trying to train him or her in a certain direction, okay? So we see instruction. The second sort of way that this word is used is correction. And it has an intensive form, not, not the word itself, but this word is used in certain contexts of correction for what we might call physical chastisement. Okay? Or we might say uh, corporal punishment, right? So instruction, correction, and then the third way, the minority way, is it's used as an admonishment or as a warning. Okay? So this word, and and you need to remember this, okay? The the reason I'm doing this is we can get off base if we forget that the main thought behind this word is training. And watch this. It's training that comes through instruction. It's training that comes through correction. It's training that comes through admonishment or warning. So when you think about what does a parent do? Now, some of you are past the season of parenting uh, small children, but your grandparents... Well, I got news for you. It works for grandchildren too. Okay, it's the same concept. 
It's training. It comes through instruction, correction, admonishment. Now, what's interesting is the main way that parents are training their children is not by using discipline all the time. See, so some parents think in their parenting toolbox there's one tool, and it's called discipline, right? Right. Um, now, discipline is a is an important tool in the parent's toolbox. But one of the things you learn when you read Proverbs is that discipline is what reinforces. It's the reinforcing tool. It's not the main instructional tool. Your main tool of influence is your instruction. And parents instruct in two ways, right? They instruct first through their example, most important, and then they instruct through their actual formative training where they're sitting down and they're saying, son, daughter, here's how you need to think about that. Here's the right way to handle that. Here's a verse that applies to that situation. So on and so forth. Okay? And we, when we get parenting backwards, when the only thing we know how to do is spank and take their allowance away for a little bit. Okay? Because that, that's what reinforces. Notice it's correcting. And you can't correct until you know something about what is right. So you're teaching, you're instructing, you're training both through your life and through your words, and then you back that up with correction. Now, where does this come into play? Well, you teach, you train, and then when you start to see them deviate off the road, that's where the warning comes in. My son, if you go down this road, think of how many times the the Proverbs do that. The, the, The son or daughter has not yet violated some sort of biblical principle, but they're thinking about it. And the father is saying, no, you don't want to go and hang out with that woman. You don't want to go and make that financial purchase. You don't want to hang on to and hang out with those friends that you're thinking about doing. You don't want to do that. So see how all three of those work in concert? Instruction, that's the formative part. Admonishment, that's the warning to try to keep them from making the wrong decision. And then when they actually fail, they need correction. Okay, so you got three tools in your parenting toolbox all built up in one word. Now, in the New Testament, the one verse on parenting in the whole New Testament, there's one verse on parenting and then there's a parallel in Colossians. It's Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. It's on your notes there. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the, and my Bible says, discipline. But you know what it is? It's the Greek version of this. It's bring them up in the training. And it's actually training and counseling. So it's this word and the word that we use for biblical counseling. So that's what you're doing as a parent. You're training them up in these areas so that they will know God and walk with Him. Okay? So there's your Hebrew lesson for the day. You okay, class? Good? Okay. But that's so important. And here's why that's important. Because in Proverbs, you're going to read the word instruction in your English Bible. You're going to read the word discipline in your English Bible. You're going to read the word admonishment or warning in your English Bible. And in Hebrew, it's all the same word. And that's why when you read this in Hebrew, you go, wow, they keep talking about the same word. Maybe it's kind of an important word to pay attention to. It just has three functions. It has three ways that it's used. Okay? With me on that? So training, instruction... Um, I love this from uh, one of the dictionaries that we use. Discipline is education that is theocentric. Or we might say training is education that centers around the Lord. 
Okay. Notice that none of this, and, and Proverbs, right, or, uh, Solomon right out of the gate has helped us to see this, that um, the practical wisdom about finances and friends and married life and whatnot that he's going to get to is all built upon verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So all of this in terms of training revolves around and connects back to who the Lord is and what a walk with Him really looks like. So, so moms and dads, grandparents, we don't ever want to get to the place where we're just saying things like this. Well, that's just the right thing to do. Well, you just need to do that because I told you. Um, you know, this is right. This is, and and we, we don't want to become moralists that are functionally atheistic in our parenting advice. In other words, we always want to connect our instruction in parenting to the Lord and to His Word. It needs to be uniquely theocentric or God-centered. Okay? So we see that right here demonstrated for us. Notice verse 9, the value here we see of wisdom. Instruction and teaching from parents are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments, or they would be uh, actually these like neck chains about your neck. And just like in our day, those are things that would be very valuable. So Solomon is saying to his children, this wisdom, this instruction, this teaching that we want to give you is valuable to have. You think about, what, talk, talk to me about the value system of a teenager. Okay, and our teenagers can, we have some teenagers represented here, some, some uh, young, uh, young men and women here too. So, so talk to me about the, the value system of young people. What do they value? Come on, we were all young once, guys. Come on, let's think back. Um, what's that? The opinions of others. Okay, good. What's that? Possessions. That's right. Rusty? What's that? Happiness. Sure. Affection from their parents. Okay, very good. What's that? Money. And why is money so good? Like, like, if you had some money, what, what, would, what would you do with it? Buy stuff. Yeah, that's, that's right. You know, money's cool because you buy stuff. That's right. Um, okay. And, and, and we think the same way. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so, so you're competing with all of these. And, and most of what you guys have said is, is not bad, right? Those are all good things, you know, that can be used for the Lord and honoring to Him. But you're competing with that. You, you're, you're trying to help your children to see that the most valuable things you can have are immaterial. They're things you can't touch, things you can't get on Amazon, um, things you can't acquire. They're things that you learn from the Lord. And that's very hard for a young person. It's hard enough for us that are old, you know. We, we struggle with this too. And yet Solomon is saying these are valuable things and... You're going to be competing with money and friends and, and um, the, uh, the opinions of your friends and all these other things. And that's what parents do is they continue to look for ways to help their children to see the value of things that are immaterial but will last eternally. Okay? Children must be trained to see the great value of wisdom. Here's a shocker, okay? Kids don't come into the world... You know, and you get them home from the hospital. This is going to happen to you guys this week. And little Anna is not going to look up at you and Tyler and say, I am so ignorant. I am such a sinner. I am so lacking in wisdom. I am so naive. Will you please teach to me the things of the Lord? She's not going to do that. 
So how are they going to learn it? They're going to learn it as we sit down with them and say, no, this is what is important. This is what is valuable. And, and you know, parents, grandparents, look for ways to back that up. Look for ways to prove to your children, even beyond the authority of God's Word, which is sufficient in and of itself, look for ways to connect with that. When news stories happen, things happen in your neighborhood, um, show to your children from current events, things with, things with their friends, things at school, what happens when people depart from the things of the Lord. You know, one, one, of, the, one of the most wonderful phrases we should be saying to our children is, son, it, it, it's tragic, but that's what happens when you don't walk with Jesus. And some of those experiences that they are starting to feel and they are starting to be a part of because they're happening on their campuses or they're happening on their, their sports field. And they're like, Dad, this isn't right. Dad, this is... You say, yes. Connect that negative experience back to a biblical worldview that says that's what happens when you don't walk with God. Skip down to verse 15. What is a godly father's counsel like? Verse 15, My son, do not walk in the way with him. Talking about the the friends that want to go out and do horrible things and he's warning his children about doing that. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet far from their path. For their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Now, notice how we can take that little narrative as Solomon is warning his children about not hanging out with the uh, certain friends. Remember, we talked about friends last time. Notice what we can learn about a father's counsel. And if you're a grandparent, parent, this is a great thing to learn from just by example. Notice his counsel. Notice that it's tender. This is not a father barking out orders, sitting high and lifted up on his throne. This is, this is a dad, you know, you, you picture Solomon, you know, sitting on the carpet in his, uh, I don't know if they had carpet in the castle or the carpet in the... the um, the, uh, where did the king live? Thank you, yes. Um, yeah, so, so you, but you picture him you know, down on his knees almost with his, ki- with his kids, my son, right? It's tender counsel. Notice also, it's clear and direct. Uh, I, I love this. Clear and direct counsel. Do not walk in the way with them. It's clear. Uh, parents, we, we need to not be afraid to speak directly. Uh, sometimes we hear from modern psychology, oh, you can't be too assertive, right? You can't be too directive, you know? This, this is... Well, no, God says be directive. Be direct. That's good. So it's tender, it's clear and direct. Uh, he commands them. Don't be afraid to tell them how they need to think, how they need to obey. Do not follow their lifestyle. Do not be around them. Um... Again, this is the, you know, never tell your children no, never be directive. Okay, that, that's, that is satanic psychology. That is not biblical truth. Okay? He commands. Notice also, teaching children how to think wisely. It isn't just, don't do that because I say so. Notice 
the biblical logic that Solomon gives his children so that they can begin to think for themselves. It is important that they can learn to think and evaluate for themselves from a biblical standpoint. Verse 16, for their feet run to evil, they hasten to shed blood. Okay, he's saying that's why you don't want to go after them. That's why you don't want to participate with them. They run quickly to evil. They are eager to shed blood. And notice, notice how he appeals to known biblical morality. For their feet run to evil, they hasten to shed blood. Notice he doesn't explain evil there. He assumes that his children already know, hey, we're not supposed to do that. That would be an evil thing in the sight of the Lord. And that's what we do as children, or as parents, is we appeal to the morality that our children already possess. See, a lot of times children don't need to know, hey, that's right or that's wrong, although sometimes that's true. In a lot of cases, what parenting is, is it's helping children to take morality and biblical truth they already know and apply it in a more complicated situation. Or, or to help them to see through some of the deception that they're buying into. Because a, a teenager might look at this and say, hey, I'm just going to go hang with the guys. What's wrong with that? And see, that's, that, that shows you the depth of their thinking. We're just going to have a good time. Well, having a good time isn't necessarily bad, but it's like they're not thinking about it deep enough. They're not thinking about it, and, and they're, because they're not evaluating it properly, they're being deceived at what's actually going to happen. So as a parent, you're making those connections. You're helping them to see through the deception. You're helping them to apply biblical truth to certain areas of life. Notice also, he uses appropriate examples, illustrations, or stories that help children understand biblical truth and remember it. Um, <laughs> again, you're, you're competing with social media. What you say is just one voice in a, in a very, very loud, resounding conversation. And I love this in verse 17 because it's funny. And this is totally something you would do with your teenager, okay? So he's talked about this really serious thing. You don't want to go there. Their, their feet are shift to sweat. Uh, uh, they run to evil. They're swift to shed blood. Um, and then verse 17. Solomon looks at his boys and says, Even a dumb bird knows better than that. And you can see him having all, a little family chuckle over this thing. But that's what he's doing. He's using humor. He's using an illustration to reinforce the truth of what he's saying. And as parents, we need to do that. We need to use some stories, use some humor, use some illustrations to make the truth stick. And he exposes foolishness with the light of biblical wisdom. Those who aim to ambush others destroy their own lives. Those driven to violence by greed for money compromise their very lives. Okay, so we see him put all of that together there. They lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. Verse 19, it takes away the life of its possessors. Help them see through the whole sequence. In fact, that, that's a great exercise. Do you ever do this? Son, let's say you do that. What happens? What happens if the police pull you over? What happens if you get caught at that party? What happens if you go to jail? What happens? You know, you, you play it out because, and we all did this when we were young. So, so, so young people, we're not picking on you because we were the exact same way when we were age. We really were. 
We just don't like to admit it sometimes. Um, you don't think beyond the moment, right? The, the, the scope of the average young person's thought is about five minutes out, right? And we need to help them to see the whole thing. You know, think the whole thing through. What happens if you were to go through with that? Um, and, you know, that's good in so many... Isn't, it, isn't that good in so many areas of life? Not just like horrible uh, things. You know, it's like, are you going to buy that? Yeah. Why? Well, I want it. Oh, okay. Do you have enough money for it? I think so. Okay. Um, so how long is it going to take you to pay that back? Well, I don't know. What's the interest rate? What's that? Well, we need to talk, son. You know, right? It's like <laughs> you've got to go through the whole thing. But that's it. It's, it's what does the whole thing look like? And, that, and that's how, you know, we're trying to, to help our children to not be moment-oriented, but to be goal-oriented, to be um, biblically-oriented in, in the overall perspective of what's going to happen, in, in the direction of life that's going. And part of that, guys, and you know this, because we struggle with the same thing, part of that is just getting out of the moment, getting out of the heat of the moment that says, I just want to do this right now. And young people, you can pray for us old folks, because we struggle with that too sometimes. Okay? So what is a parent's role in all of this? Turn in Proverbs, to Proverbs chapter 19, and uh, let's, uh, let's introduce our word here. Um, I sort of already got into it a little bit, but this is so important that you see this. Now again, you you may not have children in the home, you you may have grandchildren, even great-grandchildren, that's fine. Um, You may may know, uh, hey, you may not have any children in your life at all, okay? You may, well, um, please be an influence on the young people of Grace Bible Church, if that's your season of life. Because we need the influence of godly men and women on our children, even here in the church. Uh, Proverbs 19, verse 18. Who wants to read that for us, please? Wow. Wow. There's a whole lot we can say about that. Notice the obvious. Discipline your son while there is hope. Now, if, if you hear the word discipline, you're thinking, uh, that's punishment, right? That, that's uh, spanking, that's uh, taking allowance away, that's uh, you no know, video game privileges, it's, right? But remember, that, that's not it. That's not the word. The word is, say it with me, class, usar. And it means training. So read the verse again with that word in mind. Train your son while there is hope. That's it. Okay? Now, that training does involve discipline sometimes. It does. Okay? But remember, the word is not limited. It's training. It's, we got to train while there's time. You, you think about, um, man, think what the cowboys are doing right now. You know? Who did they lose? Jason Witten, good night. So what are they doing right now? You think they're going, well, football doesn't start till September, right? So we just, now we go on vacation and now we, no, what are they doing like crazy right now? What are they getting ready to do? 
training camp. Why are they doing that? Because they only have a window, a certain window, don't they? Before preseason starts. And it's train your team while there is time. And it's the same way, in a much more significant way, with parenting. You've got to train while you have time. So train your son while there is hope. Train your son while there is time. Do not desire his death. What do we do with that? That's a tough verse, isn't it? Um, well, there's, there's a couple of ways we can take that, and um, we'll talk more about the context of um, parenting in, in coming weeks. But um, one way you can take that is to recognize that there were, there were certain provisions under the, nation, the laws of the nation of Israel. Okay, so we are not under these laws because we're not the nation of Israel. They, were, they would be like the, the governmental laws of the day. And there were capital punishment laws for highly rebellious children. And you, we can go back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. We can read those where it says, if your son or your daughter continues along this path of rebellion uh, to, the point that it, okay, to the point that it was criminal in the eyes of the state nation of Israel, there were laws, some of which allowed for capital punishment of those children. And, and you know, we read that, we go, wow, that's so, that's so radical. That's, not, not really, because we have laws in our state that if you commit certain crimes, there may be uh, a death sentence to that. Okay? So it's the same thing, but in the theocracy of Israel. Okay? So it may be that what Solomon is saying is, Train and train and train and train because you don't want, you don't want those laws to have to become applicable to your children that could put them in a place where they could lose their life according to the state. Okay? I think that's what Solomon means here. Um, I don't think it's like, ah, I'm so frustrated, you know. I don't, I don't, I mean, what, what parent wishes that their child was dead? I, you know, maybe occasionally. There are people like that. But I don't think that's the intent. I think we have to read that as, as thinking about it in the context of the nation of Israel and the laws and the crimes that were a part of um, that nation. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. Um, mm-hmm. Right. You drive a car drunk. Right. You could not yeah. only hurt you, but... Right. Yeah, so, so what you're saying is, if we took it as, you know, train your son while there is hope, do not desire his death, meaning you do this because you don't want him to do something that might kill him or bring some horrible comp, co- uh, consequence. Yeah, I, I think that's a valid way to look at it. That may be a watered mm-hmm. down Um, I would take it as physical death just based on the context. Um, there are times when the Proverbs are going to use it in a spiritual sense. Um, one of the challenges, just come up for air here for a minute with me, okay? One of the challenges of this book, especially in this section, is there's no context. It's just, you know, one verse here, one verse here, one verse here. And so what Rusty's asking is, how do we understand the intent of the word death? Is it spiritual? Is it physical? 
and the Bible, of course, uses that word in both senses, because there's really not any context in the book of Proverbs, it's, we don't have a whole lot of context in terms of the clues we have to go off of. Um, so, um, you know, I, I suppose another way to take it, I mean, the, and I don't know if this is helpful or not, is to think about, you know, the physical chastisement and thinking, you know, the goal of that is not to somehow injure your child. The goal of that is to train them. Um, I guess we could take that another way. But anyway, but the point is, for what we're, th- we're really thinking about the first part of the verse here, um, to train your son, train your daughter while there is hope to do so. Okay, so training is what we're thinking about here. And as I, I wrote up on the board, that, that word training, that word discipline, as it's used in our verse here, um, has three senses to it. There's an instruction, there's correction, there's admonishment or a warning. Now, why is training needed? Okay, so we might ask the question, why is training needed? So let's look at a couple more verses to see this, okay? Uh, flip over to chapter 22, verse 15. <clears throat> Someone read uh, 22.15, please, when you get it. How about a New Living Translation? A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. Okay. New Living, that's pretty good. Um, so Nasby says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. So why do we have to train? What's that? Get to get rid of the foolishness. To get rid of the foolishness. Are you saying that that cute little newborn is a package of foolishness? Is that what you're telling me? Uh-huh. Okay, you got, here, here's a category that you need. Ready? Cute foolishness. Right? Adorable depravity right that that's that is a, a a accurate category of biblical anthropology right we've got to understand that um it's foolishness so on your notes there children are naturally foolish but training changes them for the better that's what we see here now of course in this context <clears throat> when the bible talks about the rod of training We're not talking about instruction. We're not talking about admonishment. We're talking about physical discipline. We're we're talking about a spanking. We're talking about, um, if they're older, um, all the things we do to try to make life unpleasant to reinforce the training. That may be extra chores. It may be loss of privileges. Um, It may be um, uh, other things along those lines. Uh, but, But notice, that's why it's necessary. Um, because our children come into the world bound up with foolishness in their heart. And, and notice, it's the rod of training that removes it far from them. Um, think of how radical that is. God says that discipline in the home is a primary means of removing inherent foolishness. Wow. Wow. Take that to the psychological schools, right? Yeah, not, not trying to be mean or anything, but I mean that's just that's just radical. That's radical stuff. You think of old James Dobson back in the 70s, writing the 
you know, the book on, you know, you need to spank your kids and all that, ah, all the psychological world went, went nuts and, you know, oh, you're going to hurt your child, you're going to, you're going to scar them emotionally, you're going to scar them for life and, well, we, we've seen what a generation of parenting according to the modern psychological model has done to where you have children that have such an entitlement mentality. Um, anyway, that's, that's another sermon for another day. Uh, notice, notice why else this is important. Go back to chapter 3. Not, not only is training necessary because children are naturally foolish and the training helps to remove that. Notice chapter 3 and look with me at verse 11. Would someone read verses 11 and 12, please, of chapter 3? Wow. So much of what happens, or so much of what is supposed to happen on this planet is designed to reflect who God is and what He cares about. Right? And we understand that. Uh, the Bible's going to say, forgive horizontally as God has forgiven you, vertically. Right? The Bible's going to say, you be holy because God Himself is holy. You, you see that correlation? And, and, and look for that when you read your Bible. A lot of what God tells us to do in this life is right and good because it reflects who He is and how He operates. Okay. So with that in mind, why is this God's plan for parenting? How come? Because it's his plan for parenting. God is asking us as human parents to do the same things that he as a heavenly parent does for his children. Do, do you see that? And, and that's the point of this. When a father or a mother sits down with their children and teaches them and instructs them and trains them and corrects them, the children ought to see that that, that is a reflection of of who God is and what He does. And that's why He says ultimately, a parent says to their children, ultimately, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or His reproof. Because see, what's going to happen is they're going to leave the home of mom and dad and there are going to be consequences to their actions. There are going to be um, a way that God works in their life. And, and, and this is radical, mom and dad, because this is, this is really interesting. Part of how we are supposed to train and correct and discipline our children is to prepare our children for a life of walking with God under His training. You see that? So, so the, this is really like paradigm shifting. So the end, the goal of what we're doing in the home is really not ultimately about us. It's about training our children to relate to their God and to walk with Him and, and to receive His training and His correction with a right heart. We're just sort of the, 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 the temporary trainers of that, the preparers for that. Um, so training is what God the Father does for His children. Notice, uh, you know, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, or loathe His reproof. Whom the Lord loves, He reproves. Hey, same thing. Even as a father corrects his son in whom he delights. 
Notice this too. Training and discipline is a function of love. Isn't it? Training and discipline is a function of love. God loves you, so He trains you. God loves you, so He corrects you. And moms and dads, because we love our children, we correct the son, we correct the daughter, because we delight in them. Because we love them. Notice this. Chapter 13, verse 24. A father who loves his children will train them. 13.24. Are you there? Chapter 13, verse 24. It starts like this. He who withholds his rod hates his son. Oh my goodness. If you don't train your children... God's assessment is, you must hate your children. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently, trains him diligently. How do you know if you love your children? Am I training them diligently? A father who loves his children will train them because that's what God the Father does in training his children. Um, You know, it's easy to... It's easy to think in talking about this, it's Father's Day, and this is God's plan. You know, as I'm preparing this, and I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, you know what, this is God's ideal, this is what we strive for, but in a broken world, this isn't always what happens in homes, is it? There isn't, isn't one of us in the room here that's a perfect parent. We all would readily admit that. Uh, when we think about our own parents... Yes. Yeah, Rehoboam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So, so what Rich is pointing out is Solomon's son Rehoboam, who was he's he's one of the my sons here, likely. And you look at his life. His father was the wisest man that ever lived, and that, right? We recognize that that's not. Even if we could be perfect parents, that doesn't guarantee our children will turn out well because. Uh, they have a responsibility ultimately before the Lord that they can choose to follow or not choose to follow. But you know, it's Father's Day, and I don't know what your home was like. You think about all sorts of homes that we come from. Uh, Some of us that came from broken homes. Some of us that came from homes where we didn't even know a dad. Um, Some of you who have lost children. Um... You know, this day can stir up a lot of emotions depending on what comes into your mind when you hear the word Father. Um, We think about two families in our church who are coming to this Father's Day without a father for the first time. And um, so whatever comes to mind when you think about Father... um, Listen to Romans. In the gospel, in trusting Christ, the Bible makes this amazing promise. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons 
by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Isn't that amazing? Whatever comes to mind when you hear the word Father, whatever your home was like, whatever whatever you feel like you did or didn't do well as a dad, you may look back with regret. Notice how the Bible pulls all of us together around this thought. You can be a part of the family of God. You can have a perfect father in the gospel. To be able to relate to your heavenly God as a heavenly father is utterly shocking that he would offer that to us to be a part of his family, to adopt us. You know what? You know why adoption is necessary? Because we don't come into the world a part of the family of God. We come into the world belonging to the enemy. And he rescues us out of that, that horrible family that we come into the world and adopts us into his very own family in Christ. Listen to this too. I love Psalm 68. Sing to God, sing praises to His name, lift up a song for Him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exalt before Him. Well, why should we do that? Because He's a father of the fatherless. He's a judge for the widows. That's God in His holy habitation. God makes a home. Listen to this. God makes a home for the lonely. You know how many people need to hear that today? You can be a part of the family of God with Him as your heavenly Father. God is a father to the fatherless. He is a help to the widow. He makes a home for the lonely. Psalm 146 the Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. But He thwarts the way of the wicked. You know, we, don't think of, we don't think of Father's Day as being a spiritual holiday. It's not like Christmas or Resurrection Sunday or something like that. But I think seen through the lens of these verses, it really sets our heart on a very important reality of who God calls us of the family God calls us to in the gospel and how his fatherly care as part of being in his family is a great blessing and a great provision. So whatever comes into your mind when you think about father, um, this is where we need to land. And this is why we need to praise uh, the Lord uh, for his good grace, for being a father to us and uh, for saving us um, in our uh, moment of weakness, in our day of sin. So let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the Proverbs that uh, teach us about parenting and being a father, being a mother. And Lord, on this day when um, for so many of us, there's, just, there, there's so much, so much emotion, so much memory, things that are hard and painful, uh, things that provoke regret and guilt. Uh, things that provoke profound sadness as we miss fathers that have passed away or fathers that we never knew. 
Lord, thank you that you meet us in our emotion, our loneliness. Thank you that you are a father to the fatherless. Thank you, Lord, that in the gospel, however we evaluate our success or failure in parenting, that we have a heavenly father who will adopt us into his family, who will forgive us, who will restore us, and who will work in us. Lord, we know on our best day, we are far, far from your heavenly fatherly ways. Give us grace um, to walk in faithfulness. And give us grace to have your mind and your wisdom. And whatever our cares or concerns are today, to trust you. To trust you with our families. To trust you with our parents. To trust you. And know that you will help us. And you will walk with us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. We pray in Jesus' name.